So the benefit of that is that I preached less because I could smell the food. Today I can't smell it, so I'm going to need somebody, if I start to go long, Pastor Bob, go get a burger and just sit right there in the front row, and that might speed things along, okay? So that's what we're going to do, uh, and I'm excited to just get to open God's Word with you. So again, Luke 9 is where we're at. We're going to dive in and talk about what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, There is a difference, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, there's a difference between learning something and doing what it takes to simply pass a test. Let me just describe it this way. When I was in college as a freshman, you know, the 18-year-old going off to school for the first time, some of you are in that right now. Maybe you're watching on the live stream from college. We love you and we're praying for you, by the way. Uh, But I remember taking college algebra. Does anybody remember that? Oh man, I'm just, I I got anxiety just bringing that phrase up right now, okay? Uh, I graduated with what they call a Bachelor of Arts, meaning you barely have to cross the bar of, of mathematics. Like, I was having to do more writing than calculating, if you know what I'm saying, okay? But I go into freshman at uh, college algebra thinking, okay, knowing my degree plan, if I can pass this class, I am done with math forever, right? Like, I'm done. And, you know, now I work at a place where I manage a $750,000 budget, but that's okay. Uh, I'm done with it. So, math teachers, I'm trying to throw you a bone. Don't hate on me, all right? Uh, But I remember going, and, and, you know, there would be a test, and it's like, all right, I don't have to know this too well, but I got to be able to pass. So, I got to do whatever it takes to pass that class. And I remember doing that several exams in, and I remember the final. I knew exactly what I had to make on the final to get out of that class. Did any of you ever have a class like that, right? Like, I knew exactly what I had to have. And by the grace of God, wouldn't it be great if I was like, and then I failed? No. Uh, By the grace of God, I got out of there with the grade that I wanted, and it was just so awesome to be done. Well, fast forward a couple years, and I went to Dallas Baptist University and was basically, I'd taken all all my basics in the uh, at the junior college and went there and was just taking Bible classes. And I'm not going to say that every class was this way, but the majority of my classes, I was pumped to be in there. I was excited to dig in. I had a class called Pastoral Ministry that I remember lectures to this day. I mean, I'm writing stuff down. I'm thinking about, I ain't even really worried about the test. I just want to learn that content so that I can fulfill the calling that God has given to me. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life? There's a difference between learning something and just doing what it takes to pass a test. Well, if you were here last week, our message was titled Questions and Answers. And as we looked at the question Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? We saw that Peter had the right answer. And we asked ourselves last week, who is Jesus? We talked about who he is, but then we said, do you know Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? And I would just venture to say that hopefully many people in here would say yes and amen. He's my savior. He's my Lord. But here's what I want to remind you today. This is more than just passing a test. This is more than just knowing the right answers and being able to check off the theological boxes and church attendance boxes. Knowing Jesus, really walking with him in such a way that changes every aspect of our lives. I've told you before, there's a difference between knowing and knowing, right? Like I know a lot about probably one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football, Tony Romo. 
save it, save it, all right? Some of you need to come repent when we have our invitation later, all right? Like, I know, I know some statistics, you know, I, I know where he grew up, I know where he went to college, I know a lot about him, but let me just tell you, uh, if he walked in those back doors right now and I was like, Tony, my man, guess what he's going to be like, where's my security detail? Because I don't really know him. See, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus. A lot of you today know all the stats, you know all the numbers, you know all the history, you know the ins and outs, and even some of the theological minutia. We know all those things, but my question for you today is, do you know him? Do you have a real relationship with a real and living Savior? It's not just about passing the test, but it's about learning to actually follow him. So what we're going to see, we're going to read one verse this morning. Is that, if you are here regularly, this is like a, an anomaly because we read like a chapter and a half seemingly a couple weeks ago. Today we're reading one chapter, but I want to encourage you, keep your Bibles open if you brought it with you because we're going to refer to things all throughout Luke's chapter here in nine. And what we're going to do is see Jesus give a very clear call of what it looks like to know and follow him. But we're going to see that all throughout Luke nine, he has been leading them into situations where they're learning these truths and applying these truths to their lives. So what I'm going to do is read this one verse. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us and we will dive in and let him teach us from his word. Luke's gospel chapter nine, one verse, verse 23 The word of the Lord says this, and Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need your help. This seems so simple. You have laid it out here as clearly as we could possibly put it, yet we know that these Simple statements are a lot harder to apply to our lives. So I pray that today you would help us to see what it looks like to really know you and to really follow you. I thank you for every single person that's here, our people who are with us on a regular basis, those who maybe came to visit today. We're just so glad that you have brought us here. And Lord, we know that it's not an accident that we're here, but at this appointed time that you have brought us together so that you could speak to our hearts today. So Lord, would you do that? pray that when we leave this place, we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we had met with you. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, like I said, last week we walked through a different portions of this chapter that talk to us about uh, Jesus leading his disciples to this moment where Peter affirms, you are the Christ. Jesus was praying and he looks up and says, what are people saying about me? And the disciples said, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet of old has come back from the dead. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And this epic moment, really a culmination of a lot of moments, months and years of walking with Jesus. Surely they had thought about this. This may be the Messiah. When he's off praying by himself, I bet they're huddling together saying, no, I think he's the one. I think it's the one from Isaiah. I think this is the one that's been prophesied about. This is the Savior. And then finally in this moment, Peter has the courage to just call it out and say, you are the Christ of God. And Jesus says, yeah, you got it. That's the rusty paraphrase version, but that's what he said. 
He affirmed what Peter said. But here's what's crazy. In this insane moment, this powerful moment where they say, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, yes, I am. He then turns to the gathered disciples. It says he said to all. So not just his close disciples, but he turns to everyone and says, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's what it looks like to come after me, if anyone would come after me. Now, I'm just saying, we ought to be leaning in and listening when he says that, right? Can you imagine what Peter and the rest of the disciples, when he said, here's what it looks like to follow me, the Christ of God, the very Son of God, the Messiah, who's been prophesied from the Old Testament. Here's what it looks like to follow the Savior. They are leaning in and they're listening, and he gives them these very simple statements. If anyone would follow me, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Simple, yet, if we're honest, incredibly difficult to actually do. It's easy to talk about denying ourselves. It's easy to talk about taking up our cross. It's easy to talk about following Jesus. But if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, wouldn't you just confess today that it's really hard? And I think it's really hard because in our American culture and in our Western Christianity world, I think a lot of people invite Jesus to follow them. A lot of people say, hey, Jesus, why don't you come with me? Here's the trajectory of my life. Would you come and bless my life? Would you come and bless my efforts? Would you come and bless what I think life is all about? But Jesus didn't say, invite me to follow you. What did Jesus say? Follow me. Do you remember when he called his first disciples? What did he say? Follow me. And it said that they dropped their nets and followed him. They dropped their lifestyle. They dropped everything and went with Christ. What would it look like for you today to follow Jesus instead of asking Jesus to follow you? That's what I think we're going to see in these very simple calls from the text. The first thing is this. It's already here. Deny yourself If we want to be a disciple, if we don't want to be a follower of Jesus, we need to deny ourselves. And here's what that simply means. It's not about me. Would y'all just say that out loud with me? It's not about me. Pastor Bob, can we record each person individually saying that so we can play that for them from time to time? Already got it. it. Okay. (laughs) This technology here, it's crazy, (laughs) y'all. Face recognition, we got to, you know, nothing but the best tech up in here, all right? We need that reminder sometimes, don't we? Because here's the reality. Jesus says, deny yourself, but everything else in our world today says, treat yourself, right? Parks and Rec fans, anybody, right? Everybody else in the world says, it's all about you. And listen, from the time our children are born, we raise them up to think it's all about them. And then they go to school, and the school says it's all about you. I've just got to tell you, like, you know, we try really hard with our kids to teach them that the world does not revolve around you. And I kid you not, like week three of school, my kid had some special opportunity to have a special week, and they literally called it this, all about me week. (laughs) And I was just like, what is happening? And I understand that. I understand what they're doing. And hey, let me just say, having a kindergartner is a lot of fun to see the way that those kids love on each other. Uh, I'm not going to get emotional in front of you right now, but it's pretty sweet to hear the way those kids talk about each other. And you're like, man, if we could just keep this all the way through, wouldn't life be awesome? 
But listen, here's the reality. My kid's not in here, but you know what I told her? It's not all about you. Well, and I had to tell her that a few times that week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, listen, sweetheart, that's not how it works. But the truth is, many of us struggle with living as if our life is really all about ourselves. Can I just tell you that selfishness is a feature that comes standard in humanity? You don't have to teach selfishness. From the very beginning, we've got that. So I've told you about my five-year-old. Right now, I've got a less than one-year-old. And he didn't have to learn that life is all about him. From the very beginning, the world revolves around him. He's at that weird state in life now. We went to a restaurant the other day, and because y'all are so loving to him, and we're appreciative of that, okay, and because at home he gets a lot of attention, he was blown away that everybody at that restaurant wasn't all about him. He's doing his best tricks. He's doing all his best performances, and the waiters and waitresses just have the audacity to walk by. Of course, you know, he usually gets one or two of them by the time it's over, and you can tell he's like, yeah, I got them. Everything in our world tells us from the time we're a baby all the way to the rest of our lives that this is really all about you. But Jesus says, if we're going to become his disciples, we have to deny ourselves. The call to follow Jesus is really a call to serve others. It's a call to serve others. Can I tell you one thing? We're doing this ministry fair. One of the cool things about ministry and serving is that it teaches you to look outside of yourselves. I've had to walk through families through some devastating situations. I've, I've seen families who lost children. I've, I've seen people who lost their spouse. And, and I know that those are very difficult things to walk through. But can I tell you what's been interesting to hear conversations with them is some of them have gone to counseling and therapy and they come back and share with me some of the things that God is doing in their life. And one of the most common things that people are told to do in those situations is find something that helps you serve others. Because when you are serving others, it has a way of helping you remember that there are other people out there who are broken too. There are other people out there who need help too, that you are not alone. Can I tell you, God has wired us to have a heart for serving others. Some of you don't know it because you don't serve others very often. And if you're like me, we go through our lives just kind of with our own little world, everything revolving around us. But when you ask the Lord to open your eyes to help you deny yourself, can I just tell you that you start to realize this is what I was made for. This is really what I was made for. Our flesh fights against it. But when we're in those moments, we recognize this is what life is really all about. Now, what I love, and we're going to talk about this with each of these three things, is that Jesus doesn't just say it. He doesn't say, hey, guys, deny yourself and then walk off. But instead, throughout Luke 9, we're going to see multiple examples of him leading them into situations where they have to do that. In the first six verses of chapter 9, he literally sends the disciples out, this closer group of disciples. In chapter 10, he'll send a bigger group. He says, go and do ministry. Go and be my hands and feet. Then they get back and they're, you know, excited about all the things that happened. And then the crowd is pressing in on them. And the disciples say, man, hey, it's late and there's no food. Tell everybody to go home. And what did Jesus say to them? No, you feed them. <laughs> Yikes. Like, I, you know, listen, uh, you, y'all all know that I'm the world's best boss, right? Anybody, okay, some of you didn't see the video, but uh, I am. 
But how would my staff respond at the end of the day? They've all worked their tails off and we all gather in. If we all gathered up and it was like, all right, guys, there's also about 10,000 people I need you to feed. The disciples saw Jesus was crazy. They're like, we don't have any food here. How are we supposed to do that? Philip always loved this. His isn't here in Luke, but Philip must have been the nerdy disciple because he's over there running the numbers. Uh, I, we don't have enough denarii to feed all these people, you know? Like, and he's just, everybody, they're just trying to explain away why there's no possible way this can happen. But Jesus reminds them, it's not about you. Have the people sit down, he said. He prayed they began to break the bread that they had, and the Bible says that they were all fed. That 5,000 is likely 10 to 15,000 because that was a count of the men. Can you imagine this? And afterwards, it said they picked up basketfuls of food left over, 12 baskets. It's incredible. The disciples just wanted to send them home, but Jesus says, It's not about you. The disciples said, I'm inadequate. Jesus said, It's not about you. Some of you need to hear that on this level. Uh, if you're too busy, it's way too hard to look outside of yourself and to look to the needs of others. I just can't do it. You need to hear today that it's not about you. But some of you are on this other side where God has given you this heart and you desire to do it and, and you feel like it's something you need to do, but you say, man, I can't do it. I'm not gifted in that way. I don't have the means or the capabilities or the skills to be able to pull all that off. Jesus would say, it's not about your skills and your abilities. It's about the master who has called us and enlisted us into his mission. We need to be people who are doing what he calls us to do. This would change our lives if we were to apply this to our lives. Do you understand this? I think about my selfishness and how it causes most of the problems in my life. I'm convinced that 99.9% .9 of conflicts, whether that be church conflicts, personal conflicts, relational conflicts in your family, I, I'm convinced that they would go away if we would take this and apply it to our lives. If we would understand that it's not about me. If we're going to be his disciples, we've got to live a life that is others-centered instead of me-centered. Deny yourself. The second thing Jesus said was take up your cross. Deny yourself, and once you've denied yourself, you know it's not about me. The call is to take up your cross. Now, for us, uh, that sounds really sweet and religious and sentimental, right? We've got crosses hanging up in our churches. We, some of you even have like a cross wall at your house. Some of you have it as jewelry on right now or as tattoos on your skin. Like, we are all about the cross, and for us, it certainly should be a sign of hope and redemption, so I'm not saying we need to get rid of the decorative crosses in our lives. But here's the reality. The people who heard Jesus say this for the first time did not have sweet sentimental thoughts about the cross. The cross was an instrument of murder and torture reserved for the worst criminals. When Jesus said, take up your cross, they knew that Jesus was calling them to die to themselves. Perhaps a modern equivalent would be if one of you was wearing a necklace with an electric chair on it or a lethal injection needle. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be popular. You'd get a lot of weird looks. Jesus says, take up your cross. Die to yourself. 
How are we supposed to deny ourselves? If we're going to be able to deny ourselves, it starts by taking up our cross. Every single day. I love that Luke says, take up your cross daily. Did you see that in there? Luke is not like back to my college days having to write a 1,000 word essay. So it's just like, uh, daily, right? Adding whatever words you can in there. That's not how the Holy Spirit works when he inspires scripture. There are no wasted words in the Bible. He says, take up your cross daily. Why does he say that? Because this is a daily deal. Every single day when we wake up, it's a chance for us to surrender again. It's a reminder that we have to surrender and say, my entire life is about Jesus. What does it mean to live a life of daily surrender? It means that every day we wake up and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life today? That's what it means to daily surrender to him. Again, some of us have invited Jesus to follow us instead of following him. Do you know what I think usually happens? I think usually we try to read the Bible and develop a good moral code, and then we go and do our lives and try to live as good moral people. But at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus wants of us. But here's why, because you fail at that every time, just for the record, right? Try to be a good person, you're not a good person. Can I just throw that out there? Some of you are like really messing up your Super Sunday, I apologize. I'm gonna give you a hamburger later, so hang in there, all right? And if we run out, we're gonna multiply that stuff, y'all. It's gonna be crazy. Uh, I don't think we're good. Just looking at numbers. (laughs) Then I said it, I got nervous. Oh, wait, there are a lot of people here. No, we're going to be good. No, it's fine. It's fine, really. No, seriously, we got enough food. We say, Jesus, come follow me. I'm going to try to be good so you can bless my life. I'm going to try to be good so you can make everything work out in my life. But Jesus desires that we would say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? My life belongs to you. Now, some of you are like, well, do you mean I need to quit my job? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But can I tell you that God has you right where you are for a reason today? What would it look like for you to go to work and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who are you sending into my life that I can encounter with the gospel? Who are you sending to me today that I can be your hands and feet and minister to them today? What do you want me to do today? We see this throughout the text. The next verse after 23 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If we're chasing after the things of the world, you might get it. You probably won't, but you might get it. And if you do, Jesus says, What's it worth if you lose your soul? Nothing. It says, lay down your life, die to yourself, and follow Jesus each and every single day. We see in verses 57 through 62, I want you to read these with me if your Bible's open. It's a crazy passage. As they're going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. The man said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, first, let me say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yikes. Can we just say that real quick? Like if those three came up today and they're like, hey, I'm ready to be a part of this church. We're finding membership cards. They're leading small groups in a month or two. Like we're ready. And Jesus says, I, I think you need to think about this commitment. This certainly is counterculture to the kind of easy believism we have in our world today, right? Hey, just say these words, do these things, check these boxes, and everything's going to be good. And as long as you're showing up occasionally and tithing, everything's great. It's not what Jesus says. He says, die to yourself daily. Die to yourself daily. Have you counted the cost and thought about what it means to really follow Jesus today? If not, I want to invite you to do that today. To think about what it really means to follow him. Some of you made that commitment a long time ago. But if you're being honest, somewhere along the way, you've shifted back to asking Jesus to follow you. Today, the Lord is giving you a chance to say, I got to start dying to myself daily again. I got to start coming to this moment where I take up my cross every day and follow Jesus. And that's the last thing today. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then we've got to follow Jesus. We've got to follow Jesus. This invitation to follow me, Jesus says, follow me. This is an invitation not just for a one-time decision, not just for a special baptism, not just for a religious ritual, but Jesus is inviting them to go on a lifelong journey of walking with him. That's what this is. When we commit to follow Jesus, we are committing to let him shape every single part of our lives as we follow after him together. We're saying, Lord, I want you to be the one who shapes and molds me every single step of the way. One thing I love about Luke 9 is that we see that the disciples are very much still in the middle of this process. They didn't get off the boat, drop their nets, and we make much of that, right? They dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Have you done that? And some of you are like, man, I'm not very good at this. Read the Gospels and you'll see the disciples weren't either. I, just in this chapter, and we could really do a longer study of this, but just in this chapter, Jesus overhears them arguing about which one of them is the greatest, that conversation still happens. Remember uh, that video I'm going to send you of yourself later saying it's not about me, right? They needed that right here. Well, you know, I'm pretty good. Well, you know, I'm part of the big three. You know, I'm really close to them. Uh, were you at the transfiguration, bro? Didn't think so. I don't know if that happened, but <laughs> I think that's where I'm going. You know, my heart. Wait, it's not about me. It's not about me. Yeah. So they're arguing and Jesus basically goes, what are you doing? It's not about that. It's not about you. And then they're trying to go through a village in Samaria. This is still in the same chapter. This is in the Bible. You can read this later. They're trying to walk through a village. Jesus sends some folks ahead to kind of make provision and tell them he's coming. And they come back and they say, those people don't want you to come, Jesus. We're going to have to go around. And James and John are like, all right, Lord, you ready to call fire down from heaven and burn them up? <laughs> yeah, Jesus is like, what do you think? No. We'll walk around, guys. It's incredible, isn't it? They were still in the midst of learning and growing. 
And I've said this a couple times, but I want to just say this one more time. Luke is writing this based off of source material that was written by these very guys. One of the reasons that I think it's good, this is kind of just an apologetic thought. Uh, if you, you know, people talk about how do we know the Bible's reliable. If I was writing a story about myself, I think I'd leave some of this out, right? But they include this stuff. So, yeah, we were arguing about which one of us was awesome. Yeah, I kind of wanted to call down fire and burn down the whole city. It happens, am I right? Right? Nobody? Okay, all right. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'll write it down. Yet Jesus lovingly continues to walk with them through life, daily molding and shaping them into who it is that he's called them to be. Did you know that if you're following Jesus today, you don't have to have it all together right now? So many people, I'll just tell you in a crowd like this, I know some of you are like, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to him one day when I get all my stuff together. Hey, you're never going to come back if you're waiting to get your stuff together. I'm that guy who always is like, well, when this, you know, anyone notice like busyness? It's like, well, once we get past this, things will slow down. Once we get past, and then you like, at some point you're like, okay, when I die, it will slow down. I think it's that way with me spiritually too. Like, well, once I cross this hurdle, I'm going to be there where I want to be. I'm going to have it all together. I'm really going to be exactly where I want to be. And then it seems like there's always something else. Why? Because until we go to be with him in eternity, we are going to be in the midst of growing in him. Every single day as we walk with him, he is molding us and shaping us into his likeness, making us more like him each and every single day. The question for us becomes this, are you walking with him today? Are you walking with Jesus? If you're walking with Jesus, can I just tell you this morning that you're going to be growing every single day. You're going to love Jesus more today than you did yesterday. You know, that's really my big heart check all the time is I ask myself that question, do I love Jesus more today than I did yesterday? If we're walking with him, then we should be growing in our love and knowledge of him each and every single day. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, he's laid it out pretty much as clearly as it can be said. We've got to deny ourselves. We've got to know that it's not about us. We've got to die to ourselves every single day. It's daily surrender. And then we just got to walk with Jesus. Walking with Jesus takes intentionality, though, doesn't it? What do I mean by intentionality? I mean, we need to be reminded that we're walking with Jesus all the time. I forget. I'm a pastor, and I forget I'm walking with Jesus. Like, people, I've, I've been with people, and they're like, hey, should we pray? And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Thank you. You know, like, I'm serious. I've been, I've been the one in this situation, like, I just don't know what we're going to do right now. Let's just panic. And like, hey, uh, pastor, um, maybe just, like, talk to the Lord. Great idea. Good plan. We can go through life and there's so many distractions being thrown at us constantly. But can I tell you what brings us back and reminds us that we're walking with Jesus? It's this simple commitment to spend time with him, to get in his word and to pray. When we do those things, can I tell you what happens? God reminds us of his presence. I'm trying to get to a place in my life that I'm walking with Jesus in such a way that I'm constantly aware of his presence. 
that I remember that Jesus is with me all the time. That's a game changer, isn't it? I probably have told you this before. I'm becoming an old man sharing the same stories. You ready for this? You haven't ever experienced that before, have you? I've got two pastors. Whoa, wow. Oh, oh, really? They're both right here. Okay. No, okay. All right. So, wow. That, that got a cold reception, guys. They got your back. <laughs> I was a little kid. I remember we would be watching television sometimes, and I'd have the remote, and, you know, mom and dad go to bed, or they're not watching, and we end up going to something we shouldn't be watching. We'd be in there, and we're like, okay, we're watching it. And any of you kids try this, don't, don't do it. It's stupid. Your parents are smarter than you think they are, okay? You had that previous channel button. They come in. You're watching Discovery Channel. We're just watching the Sahara, Mom. What are you? And I remember what my mom would say. She would say, would you watch that show with Jesus? <laughs> yeah. She, she knew how to get you. She just went straight there, all right? Straight there. And being the theologically astute child I was, I would often respond by saying, Mom, we are. Jesus is everywhere. Right? That usually didn't end well, but we won't go there. All that to say, I promise you, if Jesus in his physical presence had been sitting there, I promise you that the mop boys wouldn't have been sitting there watching Saturday Night Live or whatever we were watching that we weren't supposed to be watching. We'd have been like, oh, Jesus, glad you're here. We were just trying to find the Christian channel on here. We were just watching like Left Behind or VeggieTales or whatever Kirk Cameron's in these days. Like we were just there. We were just there. Right? If Jesus were to physically manifest and walk around with you during the day, how would your life look different? Can I just tell you something that like seven-year-old smart elk Rusty has for you? He is. He is with you today. Everywhere we go, Jesus is with us. When walking with him means recognizing that we are constantly in the presence of God. How would your life change if you were to walk with him? You bow your heads and close your eyes. It's a challenging message today as we look at the word of God. It's very confrontational. It's hard to preach messages like this sometimes because I feel the weight of it, yet I know that Following Jesus is the most blessed thing we can do in our lives. If you want to walk in the center of God's blessing, start following him. So what I want us to do in this time of response, I want us just to be praying and asking Jesus to help us deny ourselves, to help us take up our cross, to help us follow him, to help us be disciples. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never dropped your nets and followed him, can I just tell you, you don't have to have it all together, but today, today you can start following him. We'll have pastors here that are ready to talk to you if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus or if you need prayer. But I want to invite you to respond however the Lord leads you. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Help us to respond in the way that you would call us to respond this day. It's in your name we pray.